Welcome to a special episode, which won't be a conversation because today it will just be me talking about why I have now decided to change the name of the conversation series from conversations about Eastern Europe to Ukraine and beyond. And then otherwise I want to make a sort of um, status upon where we are as of right now both in uh, the war in Ukraine and also with my project here. So first of all, why have I decided now to change the name from conversations about Eastern Europe to Ukraine and beyond? I've done that because after I've been doing this for a bit more than seven months, now I've come to the conclusion that Ukraine and beyond is a more suiting title for the conversation series because where I in the beginning maybe thought that I would be talking more about Eastern Europe as a region like about Ukraine, Georgia, Armenia, Belarus and so on also Moldova I've realized now after doing this for seven months that what I mainly talk about is the war in Ukraine and then everything that goes beyond that war, meaning what is the overall broader structural global factors that are contributing to why we are having this war right now. So so the conversation series is now just changing its name to something that is more suitable towards what the conversation series actually is, because I've chosen to state Ukraine directly in the name because I talk so much about Ukraine and because I've been talking to so many Ukrainians. That's why I think it is fitting to put Ukraine specifically in the name. And then um, that is followed by and beyond because what I am talking about is everything that goes beyond this world. And recently I've also talked a bit about the conflict in Israel, the war between Israel and Hamas, which I also think in the broader picture is connected to the same struggle that the Ukrainians are fighting for. And therefore that belongs to the beyond category of the title. And what else belongs also to that category is when I, for example, talk with youth candidates to the European parliamentary parliamentary election next year because when I speak with um, candidates for parties, young candidates for parties to that election and when I speak with chairmen of the political youth organizations in Denmark, I think that is also something that is related to the beyond part of what is the title of my conversation series now. Because when I talk to those people, we also talk about the broader structural forces that are contributing to the fact that we right now have this war in Ukraine after Russia initiated its full-scale invasion in February 2022. So it's not because I don't think that the region in general, Eastern Europe, is as important as it always was. It definitely is. I still think that the democratization of Eastern Europe on a broad scale is the key, is one of the biggest keys to creating a more democratic and free world. But I just think that now after doing this for seven months, I've realized that 
in order to do this, do that in the best way possible, um, which is the way that I've done it. I think so, at least. The conversations are more about Ukraine, specifically the war in Ukraine, and then about all the broader global structures and also global events that are also in the same box of um, like subjects, I guess you could say. And so that's why now it's Ukraine and beyond instead of conversations about Eastern Europe. Yeah. And related to this point as well, I want to talk about why the conflict or rather the war between Israel and Hamas is also underlining the importance of the war in Ukraine. And I think that is because what we saw on the 7th of October this year, the terrorist attack by Hamas on Israel, to me, seems very much also to be an indicator of the fact that extremist groups like Hamas in Gaza in 2023, they feel more secure and they are willing to dare more than they have been. And at least that is my analysis. They, they are more secure to do that than they have been at any other point in the uh, since 2000 or possibly even since the fall of the Berlin Wall and the dissolution of the USSR. And the fact that they feel more secure, at least this is the way I view it, is also because of the fact that regimes like Russia, like Iran, like China and North Korea have realized that the world that we live in today is a world in which the actions that they have always wanted to take but have not been able to take earlier because there would have been a stronger response to that. That is just not the case anymore. So therefore, they have seen after the Russian full-scale invasion of Ukraine, the reactions to that, the way that we have responded to that in the collective West, I guess you can say, they have seen that even though you commit such atrocities as the one that Russia committed, such atrocities isn't necessarily answered by very um, willingly and committed support from the West against such actions. Uh, and I think that the Russian invasion and the way that we have reacted to that showed, for example, Iran and Hamas that it would be possible to do such atrocities as the one that Hamas did on the 7th of October without necessarily thereafter having to experience a response from the collective West that would put you out of place permanently in quotation marks. I'm saying that in quotation marks. But it is just to say that I believe that when evil actors, I would call them autocratic actors, extremist actors, regimes that in any way want to inflict want to inflict pain or want to uh, inflict other things upon other human beings, they can um, 
do that without necessarily having to stand by their actions in a way that they would have probably earlier. And I think that um, the fact that Hamas did what they did these weeks back is an indicator of the fact that we are now living in a world in which extremist forces that only wanted to avert other people using violence and only want to take over other people's territory using violence, they are now more inclined to do that. So I think that's why the war between Israel and Gaza underlines the importance of Ukraine. And just to broaden it out a little bit, I think that had Ukraine already won, which I think they could have if we had supported them with more weapons, weapons right from the start and throughout this war, I think we would have been in a situation where because Russia would then have been defeated, one of the strongest beggars of Hamas and Iran, we probably wouldn't have seen the attack from Hamas on Israel because in such a, in such, such a situation, the forces in the world, the regimes in the world that support such actions and are willing to relativize the actions of Hamas, then those forces would have been way weaker and therefore I don't think Hamas would have done what they did. So I think that is just um, to talk a bit about the relation between these two wars. And from that, I want to talk a bit about what is the situation in Ukraine right now, because as of today, which is the 5th of November, I think I can say with uh, certain confidence that the that what the collective commentary on this wall understands as the counteroffensive is probably over. I would probably say that this is not a counteroffensive anymore. This is just a general offensive that Ukraine is now committing to get back their occupied territories. But my conclusion. On all this is that it is true that Ukraine hasn't had the success that we all hoped that they would have, but at least we are seeing Ukraine move forward and offensive in certain directions in the south, in the Kazan region. We're seeing it. We're also seeing it in the Saporizhia region, especially in western Saporizhia. And I just think it is important to keep in mind when you're talking about this counter offensive, I say that in quotation marks as well, that we maybe had too high expectations going into this counter offensive as a collective West. We thought that Ukraine would be able to do more in lesser time than they have shown to be able to. And I think that a lot of this actually goes into us having unrealistic expectations in the beginning and the, this offensive has by no means stopped. It just hasn't been as successful as we hope it would be. So I still 100% believe that Ukraine will win this war and will regain all its territory. And moving on from that, I just want to state as simple as it can be stated from my part that I don't think that any of the lack of success, any of the lack of taking 
back uh, control of territories in the, uh, of the lack of liberating Ukrainians in occupied areas are the fault of Ukraine. And I think that actually is because that whatever Ukraine hasn't regained and that whatever Ukraine hasn't won back, when you look at it from the helicopter perspective, actually falls back upon the collective West once again. So that it is our fault that Ukraine haven't taken back more territory than they have because we have been too hesitant in terms of which weapons we would send to Ukraine and the amount of artillery we would send to Ukraine. So, for example, right now, the Germans are still not willing to send their uh, Taurus missiles to Ukraine. Taurus is the equivalent of the attackants, which is a long-range artillery system that the U.S. have sent Ukraine, which has proven to be very successful. That is something that Germany hasn't sent yet, but they will 100% at some point in the future send it. And that has been the case with a lot of weapons we have been debating upon whether or not we should send to Ukraine. And if we have just when if we had just been way more clear way earlier with regards to the weapon we support we are sending Ukraine, Ukraine would be in a lot better place today. And I also think that you can um, take it up a little of the you can make it even more abstract and say that it was actually our lack of ability to act deterrently in front of Russia before the full scale invasion that led to Russia even invading in the first place. So in that case, all the responsibility also falls back upon us. So I think that from now on, and this is something that I have stated numerous times, so it will just be me repeating what I have said ever since the beginning, is that we should send way more weapons to Ukraine. All the, how can you say it, Sometimes we say that, oh, but we cannot send this because then that would be some sort of escalation that Russia would then act upon in a way that would lead to something that is not good. And we have been doing that with almost every single escalation of our support along the way. So in the beginning, we wouldn't send HIMARS. We also wouldn't send attack hands. We wouldn't send fighter, fighter jets. We wouldn't provide them with certain anti-air missile defense systems. We wouldn't send them cluster munitions. We wouldn't send them a certain amount of art artillery pieces. There are so many things along the way where we have stated in the beginning that we cannot send that because that represents an escal escalatory risk where we have ended up sending it, sending it anyways to, uh, and thereafter it had turned out not to be something that uh, represented an escalatory risk. So I think that we just need to stop taking all these weird objections against escalating our weaponry support to Ukraine and then just send all these weapons instead. Yeah, and my attitude towards this is that um, as a Dane, as a Danish citizen, I think that, the, and I've thought this for a long time now, that our government should just tomorrow make a press statement in which they say that they would be willing to give Ukraine everything, if need be, that we have of military capabilities. And I think that that is what every single capital of the new Ukrainian defense contract group should do. 
which is the UDCG, and they are meeting with like months uh, separation. But um, I think there is a way forward for uh, for us in our support to Ukraine that would enable Ukraine to win this war watch earlier. So that uh, will be uh, my comments on what we need to do moving forward, which is the same that I've said all uh, all along the way. So there is actually nothing new there. And also let me just talk a little bit about civilian casualties in Ukraine because I've seen some comparisons as of lately between the civilian causes in Gaza and the civilian causes in Ukraine. And I would just like to say that um, I care about every single civilian casualty in the world that there are, but some of the mistakes that have been put forward in some of these comparisons is that people just take the UN numbers and then they say that now we have more or we have more or as many civilian casualties in Gaza compared to Ukraine. And it's just important for me to say that that is simply not true, for example. We know that in Mariupol, which is right now an occupied city by Russia in Ukraine, we know that in that city, more than 80,000 people probably have died as a result of the Russian occupation. But these numbers just don't um, appear when uh, the UN are releasing their numbers. And that's because the numbers that the UN are releasing is based upon having access to these areas and having access to speaking with authorities that will provide these numbers. And we just don't have that in many of the areas of the temporarily occupied regions of Ukraine because of the fact that Russians will not let you in, yeah, uh, UN uh, people into these areas and therefore we cannot have these numbers. But it has been underlined also by the UN a lot of times that there is a huge tag number when it comes to civilian casualties in Ukraine. And I also think that one has to take into consideration all the deportations that have been of Ukrainian people from Ukraine to Russia, all the rapes of Ukrainian women, and all the psychological terror on Ukrainians in general. So um, so that was uh, that is just something that I wanted to talk a bit about using the name name ship location to, to talk about it. And lastly, what are my plans moving forward? Well, now I've changed the name of the conversation series, but that is only to make the name more. Um, that, but that was only to uh, change the name so that I now have a name that is more fitting to what I am actually doing. So my plans moving forward is to do more of what I'm already doing. I want to keep speaking with Ukrainians. I want to keep speaking with people in the, young people in the who are active in politics. I want to keep providing Ukraine with all my ideological support. And I want to yeah keep telling other people why I think they should also do the same. So yeah, so I will keep fighting the struggle. I will keep talking about Ukraine and I will keep talking about everything beyond Ukraine that is related to the war in Ukraine. And I will um, yeah, just try to my to the best of my abilities to keep speaking 
the cause of Ukraine so that uh, as many people as possible will um, take up upon it and maybe um, in some cases also indulge themselves in that effort. So yeah, still one conversation every week and also follow my reels on Instagram where I also promote the Ukrainian cause but do it in a way which is also um, a bit more satirical. So yeah, so I'll keep on doing the conversations and I'll keep on doing the reels every week. And that's it from me for now. So, bye bye, Ukraine.